Good morning, everybody. What is so great about Jesus? Who is this Jesus? A lot of different answers from people in the word on the street for today. A lot of different answers to maybe the most important question that you and I will ever be asked. And so I wonder if the, the mic was put in front of you today, if we did a little game show today, and the mic was put in front of you, what would you say? Who is Jesus? Not, not the surface level answer, not the Sunday school answer, not what you think you should say, but deep down inside, who do you believe Jesus to be? Because our answer to that question is the key to everything else that determines our, our purpose and our direction in life. And just like in our world today, from the moment Jesus stepped on the scene, he was misunderstood. Back then and now, there's a lot of different opinions, a lot of confusion and assumptions about who is Jesus. And in our scripture reading that you just heard read today, Jesus actually clarifies that once and for all, but in a very, very unique way. And so if you have your Bibles, I want to invite you to turn uh, to Luke 15 today, or if you have your phone, go to your Bible app. If you haven't downloaded the YouVersion Bible app, I would encourage you to do that. It's pretty slick, and uh, then you always have your Bible with you. So Luke chapter 15, as you're finding there, we are in a sermon series uh, called Once Upon a Time, and we're, we've been in that uh, for a couple weeks now, and we're going through that at all of our campuses, looking at primarily the Gospel of Luke, but these stories that Jesus told called parables. Jesus is telling these stories to illustrate simple stories, using the everyday things of life to illustrate deeper kingdom truths. And so we're going to be in Luke chapter 15. If you're new to the Bible, that's totally fine. We're so glad that you're here. Uh, Luke is in the New Testament, which is the back, about third of your Bible. And the four Gospels are Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Uh, and they tell the story of Jesus' life. And so Luke is telling this story in chapter 15, and we're going to pick it up at verse 1. It says this, tax collectors and other notorious sinners. Sometimes I find the Bible humorous and how it points those things out. Really bad people, I guess, often came to listen to Jesus teach. Let me just pause right there because I don't want you to miss it. Notorious sinners willingly chose to came, come and hang out with Jesus. Don't miss that. Don't miss that. Verse 2, this made the Pharisees and the teachers of the religious law complain that he was associating with such sinful people, even eating with them. <gasps> Gasp, right? Now, a lot of you are like, why is that such a big deal, right? You can eat with anybody you want. In Jesus' day, eating was a much different thing. This wasn't drive through at McDonald's. If you ate with somebody in Jesus' day, that was a sign of friendship. That was a sign of you reaching of all a branch of peace out to them saying, I want to be in relationship with you. So this is a big deal that Jesus is eating with them. So what do we know about the scene so far? Jesus is growing in popularity. He's attracting quite the crowd, but it's not the, it's not the churchy types in those days. It's not those that you'd see at the synagogue every week. It's not the religious types. It was the riffraff. <laughs> it was the people that maybe wouldn't be deemed church appropriate today that were fascinated with Jesus. It's the outcast. It's those people. You know, as we draw up our lines as humans, there's, there's us and then there's them. There's me kind of people and then there's those people, whoever those people are for you that think differently than you do, that live differently, that vote differently than you. There's those people over there. These are the types of people that were attracted and sought out Jesus. In fact, we find out later on in the Gospels that Jesus didn't just tolerate them. Jesus didn't just show up on the scene in, in the Gospels that we read and say, well, here's some sinful people, here's some notorious sinners, they're projects to fix. Jesus actually got the nickname Friend of Sinners. 
And you don't get that nickname by tolerating them, meaning they liked Jesus, they ate with him. And even if they believed something different, even if they disagreed with Jesus, people far from God genuinely loved Jesus. So hit the pause on the story there for a second, and we got to take a step back and take some inventory. If we're going to continue to be a church, as Hope Elam, as a church after Jesus' own heart, we are going to be a church full of broken people. Many of us with painful and difficult pasts. The ones like you and I whose lives are often pretty messy. In fact, turn to your neighbor right now, the people around you, and say, it's messy in here today. Tell them that right now. It's messy in here. Tell them that. It's messy. Now turn back to that same person and say, and I think it might be you. Tell them that too. I think it might be you. You might be the messy one, right? We are all messy. Some of you are really getting into that. You're looking across the room like, you're messy, you're messy. I'm not, right? We were fine until you got here and you brought the mess. We're all messy. And that's what it means to be the church. Being a church after Jesus' own heart means that we're a church that's for the ones that don't feel like they deserve to be here. For those that don't feel quite religious enough. For, for those that have maybe experienced church hurt in the past. And you're like, I, I'm very nervous about trying this again. Imagine being a church. If we're going to be a church after Jesus' own heart, imagine being a church where people that don't like church can't stay away. People that have have been burned by the church, people that don't even believe the same things that we do yet, they're still making up their minds about Jesus. There's doubts about Jesus. They're philosophically disconnected from the things of Jesus. They don't quite understand everything. And yet they feel like it's a safe place. We might disagree with each other. Imagine being in a church, which you are sitting in right now, where I guarantee the people that are sitting around you are going to vote in a completely different opposite directions in a couple weeks here than you are. People from the cities and from the suburbs, people that disagree on a whole host of issues with you, and yet imagine being the kind of church where people come in and they say, I have never been more loved, and I experience Jesus here, and I can't stay away. This church is for me. I pray that as a church that we would continue to have the same kind of reputation that Jesus had. When Jesus moved into the neighborhood, as we read in the story, people were always chatting. What is he doing? Why is he hanging out with them? This makes me feel uncomfortable. Jesus didn't come to make people feel comfortable. He came to rescue us. He came to to save us. And people were asking questions. What is this Jesus all about? And in the same way, we're moving into a new neighborhood here as well. This is our third weekend back of in-person services here as we've been renovating this building. And people start to ask questions whenever a church moves into a new neighborhood. And certainly after the big announcement that we made last week that we are officially merging with Elam Christian Fellowship, people are asking questions. They were asking questions before that. And when a white, a primarily white church merges with a primarily black church, people have lots of questions. And let me tell you, I've been getting more texts and emails and tweets and Facebook messages and all those things, and that's awesome. And so many of them have been welcoming and encouraging, and people have lots of questions. What is this church going to be all about? What's it going to be like? What is Hope Elam all about? Well, we're going to get a lot closer to that answer because you're going to get to experience it for yourself because I'm excited to announce that on November 15th is going to be our first joint shared worship service with Elam right here in this room. So praise God for that. Could not be more excited. Elam is having their first services back in their building up by the Capitol as we speak right now as well. So we're thinking and praying for them this morning as well. 
People are asking, what kind of a church are you? Long before this whole multicultural thing came about. When you're a mega church, when you're a multi-site church, people have lots of questions, and we make all sorts of assumptions. Just like people made assumptions about Jesus. Oh, I'm sure they're all in it for the money. I'm sure this Hope Church is just, they're all just buy these big buildings and everything like that for the popularity or what it looks like, and we'll just try to, try to get all these people. Other well-intentioned people will say good, well-intentioned things like, oh, I, they're going to be the diversity church. So let's worship diversity because that's the most important thing. Or, no, 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 no. I, I see that there's some difficult neighborhoods around there. They're going to be all about serving the poor, and, and that's what Hope Elam is going to be all about. And those things are both good, and they're true. They're just not the main thing. Instead, one of the ways that we clarify this at Hope and have since 1994 when Hope first started is our mission, our vision, and our values. And our, our values are the things that keep us focused, that keep us focused on track on the main thing, our core values. And we've had the same five core values as a church since the mid-90s. And one of the ways I like to think about core values, instead of just a, a bunch of text on the wall or something in your building, is that they are living, breathing values about what we're about. And the way that I like to think about them in a strange way is, remember when you were a kid and you go bowling, or maybe you have kids or grandkids now, you ever put uh, the, the, the bumper guards in the gutters when you're bowling? You know what I mean? So like, you can't throw it in the gutter. You can't lose track, right? And you throw the ball and it bounces this way to that way. It keeps you on track, on target to your goal. Okay? Core values are the world's best bumper guards. Okay? So that's kind of what it is. And they're keeping us on track. And one of those values, core value number two, is this. Let's read it together nice and loud up on the screen. Lost people matter to God, so they matter to us. And it's important to know that this isn't some just cool, catchy <laughs> catchphrase that we came up with. This is right out of the heartbeat of Jesus' own lips. He says it this way in Luke chapter 19, verse 10. Let's read it together. For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. God showed up and made it crystal clear. He is passionate about the lost being found. Now, I, when I sat down to write the message, and, and I, I just cringed a little bit whenever I hear that word. Nobody wants to show up in church. You're like, I came to church to get pumped up and encouraged today, and the pastor stood up there and told me, you're lost, Right? feels so condemning. It feels judgmental and things like that. We don't want to be that way. It feels like some sort of self-righteous label that we lay on people and point a finger and say, well, you're lost and I'm not. And it usually involves people that believe something differently than we do. But I want to broaden out that definition for you today as well. What if lost could mean any of us that are wandering today? Any of us that have been wandering around the last several months? Any, anybody here this morning looking for life? for joy, for purpose, feeling a little disconnected in your life with Jesus. Maybe you've got doubts. Maybe you've got that church hurt today. And you're saying, I, I feel like I'm just disconnected and I'm a little dry in my relationship with God. If you've ever even thought church isn't really my thing because church is just a bunch of self-righteous, hypocritical people that are judging me, that look down on others. If you've ever felt that, <laughs> or you're feeling that, you're in really good company because Jesus felt the exact same way. Jesus' harshest criticism was not for the notorious sinners. It was for the self-righteous religious people that looked down on everybody else and said, Jesus, who is Jesus? A man, a God that had a passion for you to know this morning how radically loved you are. And that's why Jesus loved to tell stories about the lost being 
found. Back to Luke chapter 15, if you're there in the scripture, to these same religious leaders that are complaining about who Jesus is associating with, Jesus doesn't decide to give them a theological dissertation. He doesn't decide to say, well, you all need to go to seminary. Jesus is the word of God. He could give him an entire sermon and said, you know what Jesus does? Let me tell you a story. Because I want it to cut to your heart. I don't want to speak to your heads today. I want it to cut to your heart. And Jesus tells three consecutive stories about a lost sheep, about a lost coin, and then the one that you're probably most familiar with is the lost son or the prodigal son. And I know it's easy to look at those stories, and maybe some of you are familiar with them, and say, oh, Pastor John, that's nice, that's cute. They found the little sheep, you know, and the little coin, and the little boy ran away, and he came back to his daddy. That's cute. Until you realize that the sheep and the coin and the son, well, that's you. Or that's me. Or it's actually your friend or your family member or your neighbor or your coworker. And Jesus says, I am pursuing them and I am pursuing you, not with judgment, but with a fierce, passionate love that says you were made for more. Maybe lost is a broader, bigger definition than we originally thought. Maybe we need to allow ourselves to be found again today. And I was praying about the message. I felt like God just wanted to hear the, us to hear this this morning. So many of us want to do great things for God. So many of us want to make a huge impact for the kingdom. And we run out and we charge and we get busy for God. And we start ministries and we join ministries and we join clubs and activities. And we want to serve God with everything that we've got and I feel like what God is saying to us in the, the subtext of this story today is that sometimes God needs to do something in you so that he can do something through you. Sometimes God needs to humble us. Sometimes God needs to remind us of how amazing this grace is. When you think about your relationship with God this morning, what Jesus has done for you, is it amazing grace or is it, eh, it's okay, grace. I mean, I'm doing pretty well. I'm a pretty good person. I pretty much deserve to be here, you know. I'm doing pretty well. It's okay, grace. Or is it amazing? When's the last time that you were completely undone by God's goodness? When's the last time that you stood in worship and you raised your hands? Because it doesn't matter if I'm Lutheran or not. It doesn't matter what type of building. It doesn't matter if I like the worship song or not. But worship has nothing to do with me. It has nothing to do with the people up here. and has everything to do with him. When's the last time you were just undone by God's grace? And, and you just couldn't, you couldn't fathom that God was so good to you. I remember a couple years ago, we do these baptisms uh, at the river. We partner with our friends that celebrate recovery, and we do this every year, every August. I remember standing out on the water, and there is this gentleman that started walking out in the water towards me to get baptized, and I knew a little bit of his story, that he'd been in recovery multiple times. He'd, he'd experienced everything. He, he was the prodigal son multiple times over, and I knew his story. Here he's coming out to get baptized, and as he's walking out into swim trunks, he's mumbling to himself, and I couldn't make it out until he got closer. He just said, I don't deserve this. I don't deserve this. I don't deserve this, but thank you, Jesus. I don't deserve this. I don't deserve this, but thank you, Jesus. I'm ready. <laughs> and he got right out to me. More of that. More of that. Less self-righteous looking down on others. There's two ways to live this life. As if nothing is a miracle or as everything is a miracle. When you walk in those doors for worship, is your first thought, well, this isn't really like I thought it was going to be. Oh, the music was a little bit too loud. I, I hope the sermon's not boring today, right? Oh, I have to sit by them, you know, whatever it is. Hope your family, you're not saying that. 
When you walk in those doors, what if the first thing that went through your mind was, oh, wow. It has nothing to do with the building. It's a building. Oh, wow. I get to worship the God of the universe today, and he woke me up this morning, and he put breath in my lungs. What a gift. What a gift. Wow. This is, this is amazing grace. Sometimes God needs to humble us so that we don't become the older brother. You know, the younger son that ran away isn't the only son in the story, right? Do you know there's two prodigal sons? You look at Rembrandt's famous painting up here on this slide. There are so many things. This is a sermon in and of itself. But here you have the younger brother that's come and he's fallen into his father's arms. And you have two characters that are in the light. You have the father and you have the older brother that if you know the story comes back and stands over and asks the father, why all the party? Why the big fanfare for the lost son that's come home? And you have this character right here that Jesus is so conniving in the way that he does this. He's speaking to self-righteous religious people and he highlights the real prodigal son in the story. Not the one that ran away. He's home. It's the one that's far from God's heart that was with his father all along. Notice the lighting and the shading that Rembrandt, it's a masterpiece for that reason because he's purposely illustrating two opposite reactions to people that have been found. Two opposite reactions to people that are hurting and broken and sinful in our world. And he's pointing out the difference in the postures is the difference of the heart. Oh, this story of the prodigal son comforts the afflicted, those of us that are lost and hurting. But if this story doesn't mess with you a little bit, you might be reading it wrong. It also afflicts the comfortable, those of us that we don't believe that we get lost sometimes. The truth is, judgment and pride are incompatible with the gospel of Jesus Christ because the ground is level at the foot of the cross. Romans 3, verse 23, Paul writes it this way in Romans. Let's read it together nice and loud. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All means all. That's you and me. But the beauty of the story and the beauty of the gospel is that we don't have to stay lost, that we can be found. The story ends in joy. Sometimes in order for the good news to be good news for us, we've got to go back to the bad news. All have sinned. All have missed the mark. All deserve sin and death. And that's what makes the grace amazing. It's not, I'm a pretty good person, and Jesus makes me a little bit better, okay? Jesus did not come to make bad people good. Jesus came to make dead people alive again, to say, come home and be in a relationship with me. Amen? That's what Jesus, that was his mission, to seek and save the lost. And only when we've experienced the joy of being found... <laughs> That's when the story comes to life. Only when we realize that you and I are the prodigal can the story start to make sense for us. The joy of being found. It, it makes me think of a, a game that is a commonplace in the Anderson household these days with our kids that are five and seven, hide-and-seek. Maybe you're familiar with it. Oh, but we don't play the normal hide-and-seek because that's not good enough. We play a different version of hide-and-seek. You would think it's pretty easy, right? Some people hide and some people seek. Well, that wasn't good enough for our kids, and so they invented a different way of playing it that I was not aware of the first 17 times that we played it. So mom and dad, you count to 10, and you go over here, and then our two kids run and hide. 
so we start counting and they scurry off like the little squirrels that they are and they hide in the closet or behind the couch or something like that and we're thinking okay it's going to take a while to find them right so eight nine ten ready or not here we come and as soon as i turn my back and look at the rest of the living room both of them pop out from behind the couch and say you found us and I'm like, I don't think that's how the game is supposed to be played. And then after the 17th time of doing that, I call Caleb, our seven-year-old, over, and I say, hey, buddy, um, how about mom and dad hide this time and you count? And we'll try to see how that goes. And we did that, and I hid so well, because a pastor's kid growing up in a church as well, I'm really good at hide-and-seek, I'm just saying. And so I hid really, really well, and it went on for probably five minutes. They thought it was an hour, and they couldn't find me at all. And so I have to pop out and say, buddy, I'm here, because they were getting nervous and everything like that. And Caleb calls his dad, calls me over and says, hey, dad, can we play it the old way? Because this way isn't very much fun. <laughs> Why? Because there's joy in being found. And my deepest prayer for you today is that you would remember your first love that you would remember what it was like when you first discovered that the God of the universe is madly in love with you and wants to have a relationship with you. Because there's joy in being found. And God wants to experience that in a fresh way today. You think about all three of these stories in Luke 15. Lost sheep, lost coin, lost son. They have two things in common. Something or someone gets lost, and there is unspeakable joy when they are found. In the, in the, in the uh, lost sheep story, in the prodigal son story, Jesus even says that there was great rejoicing in heaven, that there was a party. The angels are having a party and rejoicing over you. When you come walking in those doors every single week, when you connect with Jesus on your knees in your living room at home and you're coming home to him, the angels are going nuts. I get to hang out with my son again. I get to hang out with my daughter again. God and his angels are rejoicing over you this morning. If you got out of bed, they're like, good, a little bit of coffee and let's get to church. They're doing it. I get to hang out with my son or my daughter. They're having a party in heaven when the lost are found. There's joy in it. And I think the danger is that as a church is that we can turn, if we turn inward, we miss out, number one, on our mission. And number two, we can miss out on the joy of when the lost are found. Rather than we just complain the whole time, we miss out on the joy. I saw a great example of this uh, last week, a lady came up to me after worship, as people often do, and it's like, okay, we're in a nice little conversation. She comes up and she says, uh, Pastor John, uh, do you think that we could talk about the parking situation? And I just kind of like, oh, I just got done preaching my guts out and you want to talk about the parking situation, right? I'm trying to humble myself. I understand the reality and I am frustrated on the inside. I'm frustrated for all of us that we are surrounded by construction on all four sides of our building right now, right? Opening weekend a couple weekends ago and you can't even get here, right? It's like an obstacle course and I'm frustrated about that and I'm preparing myself emotionally for her just to complain about it and there's all these people and all these cars and it's hard to get in and La, da, 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 da. And she says, John, I, I was driving around last week, uh, this couple weeks ago at our, at our first service that we had, and it was, it was a little bit more packed and, and, and full than this. And, and she says, I'm, I'm not frustrated. I want you to know that. I'm like, okay. She said, I was driving around, and it was kind of hard to, to find a parking spot, and all the spots on the road were filling up, and the lot got, uh, got pretty full. And I started to get frustrated, she said. And then I realized all of these people are coming to God's house. Even in a massive construction zone, they're still coming, and the street is full, and the lot is full. And can I just say, Pastor John, what a great problem to have. That's awesome. Praise God for all these people. Amen? 
And I was like, oh, okay, yes, you can clap for that, absolutely. Praise God. She's got the heart of Jesus inside her. Yes, it's inconvenient, and I don't like it as well. But when the shepherd picks up the sheep, it says he joyfully put the sheep on his shoulders. The father threw the biggest party, no questions asked, for his son. They both could have grumbled and complained. (laughs) They could have turned their back, but they rejoice. The danger as the church is that we can start believing that God's number one goal for our lives is to be comfortable. To say, well, I'm here and I've, I've got my seat and, and, I, and I signed up and I got my kid and Hope Kids or nursery and I'm here and I've got my nice seat on our nice padded pews here in our new worship center and I'm good. Why do we need to invite anybody else? Why do I need to reach out to anybody else? I mean, it's Lutheran Church of Hope for pity's sakes. Aren't we big enough already? Big enough for Who? for our own preferences and agenda, not big enough for God. For us or for a God who says this, I love the crowd, but I am passionately in love with individuals. For God so loved you. For God so loved you that he came running down the lane to you. Remember a story several years ago when we were at our Ingersoll Location. There was a gentleman that worshipped at Hope Des Moines fairly regularly at the time. He was really involved in worship, really involved in our men's ministry, got really connected. I would consider him a friend, that he really got involved. And as the, the days and weeks went on, I just kind of started to see him less and less. His family would pop in, but not him uh, for time to time. And then I just started missing all of them. And a couple months had gone by, I was kind of wondering and worrying about him. And he sent me an email, kind of a cryptic email, kind of general and broad, didn't get into specifics, and he just said... Yeah, you know, uh, we're still feeling kind of disconnected a little bit, just gone through a a tough time, and his email just ended. We'll call him Brad. He said, this is Brad. And he ended the email and just said, I guess I'll see you when I see you. And maybe there's a small part of me in my flesh that was like, oh, okay, well, good luck, right? Guess I'll see you when I see you. (laughs) Something inside of me just went, This is not how this story is going to end. People don't just drift away from the church. I could tell something was wrong. I could tell that he was wandering. And so I did something crazy. I got out my phone, and I dialed a number, and I called him. I know, pretty crazy, right? People still do that. I didn't text him. I didn't email him. I called him. I called him on the phone. He answered. He said, hey, this is Brad. I said, hey, this is Pastor John from church. And he said, oh, no, am I in trouble? I'm like, no, you're not in trouble. Just calling you. And he started talking, and he started opening up. He said, if you really want to know, a few months ago, my wife and I split, and we decided that it was best for me to move out. Nice Christian family. Kids and hope kids every weekend. And so we decided to move out, and he said, I got really depressed, and I thought about, this is what got me. I thought about calling you or some of the guys, but I was just so worried about what you might think, about what people at church might think if they heard that we were separated. And I just figured that nobody at church would understand, and I figured that you guys would be disappointed in me and and that God would be disappointed in me as well. And normally I'm a pretty good listener and I try to be as a pastor and just, oh, yeah, I'm sorry about that. Not this time. This is my friend. And something inside of me welled up and I just, I'm sorry, I just went into full-blown pastor mode. (laughs) 
And I said, Brad, I am so sorry to hear about all of this, but you are a son of God. You got to know that today. You are loved and forgiven by him. And if there is any place that you should be able to be honest and real, it should be here, surrounded by your church family as a safe place to hurt. And I cannot imagine what you're feeling. I can't imagine what you're going through, but you will never be too far away from God to come back. So I'm wiping away my snot as I'm crying and on the phone, and then there's just silence. And then he says, yeah, can we meet up and talk? <laughs> Sometimes leaving the 99 to find the one. Sometimes being the prodigal father means not letting those that you love settle for less than God's best for them. One thing that I love about the prodigal son story is this verse, verse 20. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and stayed on the porch in his rocking chair and made the son come up and kiss his feet and beg for forgiveness. No, that's not how the story goes. Was filled with compassion for him. And he ran to his son. I pray that the heartbeat of this congregation is that we are not a church that sits inside a big fancy new worship center and says, oh, I wonder if anybody's going to show up. That we are the kind of church that spends more time outside these walls than inside these walls. That we are the prodigal father that goes running down the lane. No excuses asked. No resume needed. No credentials needed. You're coming this way. You took one step towards God and we're going to run after you. <laughs> we're going to run after you. No questions Ask. Sometimes we're called to be the ones that get out of our comfort zones and get off the porch and go running to people, those that are out there. Who needs an invite from you for next week? Who, who have you grown disconnected with in your life? Who, who did you used to be close to? Who did you used to be in a small group with? Who, who are you looking around right now? I, I used to sit next to that person at church and that for completely legitimate reasons, they're choosing not to be in in-person services right now and there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. Have you called them recently? Have you emailed them just to say, I love you and I'm thinking of you and I wanted to check in because we're brothers and sisters in Christ? Who needs a call? Who needs an email? Who's drifted away from community that you can reach out to this week? What if you, what if you did the Bob Goff study, our all-church study that starts today? The videos, the study guides are all available for you online. Who are your brothers? Who are your sisters? Who are your people? <laughs> do you have some people that you could call up and say, hey, it's five weeks. Let's do this together. Let's join together. Who needs a check-in? God's heart certainly beats for the lost sheep, those that have not put their faith in Jesus, those that want nothing to do with the church. But God's heart also beats for you and I when we're stuck, when we're lost, when we're confused, when we're hurting. These stories will start to make sense, not when we think that the prodigals are those people. These stories will start to make sense when you and I realize we are those people. We are the prodigal sons and daughters. And that's why we exist as a church as well, to be a safe place. So that when you are lonely and when you're hurting and you're disconnected, that you run to the church, not away from it. So, so many circumstances where people have said they would never understand and so I'm going to run away from the church. That's when you need the church the most. So how do exactly do we become that kind of church? What does that look like lived out? We become a church of radical grace. Everybody say radical. 
Oh, say it like you mean it. Say radical. We become a church of radical grace, just like the Father. Just, just like the Father that's running down the lane. We're called to be front, front porch Christians that with every wave and every smile through your mask and every word we say to each person that walks through those doors, we are saying, welcome home. And if this is your first time here, if you've been away from church since March or whatever it is, I don't want you to hear this from me this morning. I want you to hear this from your Heavenly Father. Welcome home. He's rejoicing over you today. Welcome home. And you heard me talk about that we're trying to grow our, our hospitality team earlier. And first, I'd like one myth that I would like to bust is people say, well, they're hope. You know, I'm sure they've got it all covered. Absolutely not. We do not have it all covered. We would love to have your help. And, and secondly, once in a while, in, in good nature, they say this, people with good hearts, I will hear some people say, oh, well, you know, you know what, do you, what do you do at the church? What are you involved with? And they say, oh, I'm just an usher. Yeah, I'm just a I'm just a greet. I'm not up on stage. I'm not nothing important. You know, I just, I'm just a parking attendant. I just help out there. I'm, I'm just a, just a, just a. You know, that it's not really a big deal. <laughs> Instead, one of the primary ways that we reflect the heart of Jesus as a church is not just what people hear, but what they feel. I, I have accepted the fact that most of you are going to go home this week and you're probably going to forget 95% of what I say. You're not going to remember the songs that you sang. But when people walk through those doors and they can say, I've never felt more loved, they will never forget how they felt walking into Hope Elam. And that's the game changer. And that is something that everybody can be a part of. You are not signing up to be a volunteer. <laughs> you are telling each person that drives into our parking lot and walks through those doors that God's love is real and it's for them. What an incredible privilege that we have. Welcome home. If you're looking to feel more connected, serve. Because where you serve will feel like family. That's what healthy families do, right? And healthy families, those of you with young kids, you're not teaching them to consume. You want them to grow up and mature. We're teaching our kids right now, when you're done with your plate at meal, even at five and seven, you bring it to the counter. You don't wait for us to do that. You bring it to the counter, and you get bonus points if you put it in the dishwasher, right? Because we're not raising them to be consumers, and in a healthy family, people don't consume. Everybody contributes. That's what it means to be a part of a healthy family. But don't be mistaken. Don't miss where we started today. Sometimes God has to do something in us so he can do something through us. And maybe that starts today for you coming home. Coming home yourself. Sometimes being lost isn't disguised by rags like the prodigal son. Sometimes it's disguised by success or by titles or by busyness or the happy smile that we put on at church. Sometimes being lost is disguised by one of the most dangerous four-letter words that starts with F. Now I've got your attention. Fine. I'm fine. I can't tell you how many people that have come up to me sometimes and they say, hey, Pastor John, how's it going? And I'm like, not very good. I'm not okay. And they don't know what to do with that because in the church we're so off. How's the wife? Fine. How's the husband? Fine. How's your family? Fine. How's the job? Fine. What if it's not? Can we be a safe place where it's okay to not be okay? What if you're not fine? That this could be a safe place for you. And you might feel far away from God. You might feel disconnected from God today. You might be wandering. You might be beat up from the year that it has been. 
Maybe you're ashamed or, or guilty from a mistake that you've made in the past or something that you've done, and you've been going all around trying to find anything to fill up the void. Maybe today it's time to come home. When's the last time that you felt the embrace of your heavenly Father? <laughs> When's the last time that you let the Father lavish you with his love to say, I'm so proud of you. You're doing a great job, Mom. You're doing a great job, Dad. I'm so proud of you. You've been a great friend. I know this year has been hard, but I'm rejoicing over you with singing today. Sometimes we need to put ourselves back into the story. And so as we close, watch this video that's maybe more of a modern take of if this prodigal son story happened today. Maybe it's you. Maybe it's me driving around in this car. Maybe it's time to come home. Take a look. Hey, Dad. It's me. I'm kind of glad you didn't pick up. In fact, I don't blame you. If I were you, I probably wouldn't pick up either. I just wanted to hear your voice and also tell you a few things. At least this way, I can get it all out. Dad, I know I'll never forget all the things said to you. I thought I knew so much and I was convinced that I had it all figured out. I thought that you guys were so clueless. And I spent the first 18 years of my life thinking of any and every way to get away from home. And now, I would just love to be welcome home. I thought that I knew so much more about life than you guys ever could. But Dad, if I would have known then, would I know now? Dad, I have a question. Could could I come see you guys? I've been driving all evening and I would love to see you. I don't expect you to say yes and if I were you, I wouldn't want to see me either. I'm not asking you to forgive me. I don't know if I could ever forgive myself. Dad, there are so many times I've come through the old neighborhood. I'll drive by wanting so bad to come home but it's just been too long. One of the many things I remember is you guys always left the light on until I got home. No matter where I was or what I was doing, you left the light on. Dad, I'll be driving through and, well, if you would be willing to see me, could you leave the light on? I would love to be able to tell you just how sorry I am and how much I love you. Just to be able to come home. Some of you have maybe been driving around <laughs> these last seven months looking for anything you can to fill you up because you feel so disconnected from church and so disconnected from your faith. I want you to hear loud and clear this morning. <laughs> your heavenly father will always leave the light on for you. He's better than Motel 6. It's always on. No matter what you have done, no matter where you have been, no matter what you're feeling like this morning, whether you've taken your faith seriously or not, he says, I'll always leave the light on for you. 
And I, I know you've got your doubts and I know you've got your fears, but, but your fear doesn't stand a chance when you stand in my love. I, I know you're stressed out. I know you're overwhelmed. I, I know you're fearful about our nation and about our, our world. I know you're worried about the election and what's going to happen to our country. I know you're worried about your kids and parenting. I know you're worried about work and, and, and whether you're going to have a job or not. I know you have all these fears inside, but there's nothing that is standing in the way between you and my love today. When we stand in God's love, it knocks down all of those walls of fear. He'll always leave the light on for you and it will end where we started. Who is this Jesus? The God that loves you, the God that forgives you, the God that can heal your soul today, the God that died for you and gave his life for you so that you would know you are never too far away, who looks at you, who runs down the lane and wraps you up in his arms today and says, my son, my daughter, Welcome home. Welcome home. Our fear doesn't stand a chance when we stand in God's love. Amen? Let's stand and let's sing about it. Let's worship together.